3: For the New Orleans Saints, who entered this game as the overall favorite to win the Super Bowl, a couple of glaring flaws that I think could be issues. One is, there was not a lot of time for Drew Brees to throw the football. That offensive line got beaten up by the Dallas Cowboy defensive line. The other thing was, it did not appear to me that the New Orleans Saints receivers were creating any space at all against the Dallas Cowboy secondary. That's a little bit ominous. That's one of the moves they made when they went and got Des Bryant. Other than Michael Thomas, Drew Brees is throwing to a lot of guys who are very unaccomplished. And so if you watch this game, the windows that Drew Brees had to throw, there were not the wide-open receivers that we've gotten used to. Down the stretch of the season, do the Saints have enough receivers with game-breaking ability who can create space Michael Thomas has been phenomenal, but if somebody has a lockdown secondary and can get some pressure on the quarterback, maybe this Saints offense, which right now coming into this game was the third best offense in the history of the NFL, averaging over 37 points per game, maybe it's possible that the Saints are not the juggernaut that we necessarily thought they were coming into this game. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay
1: Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio
3: app. Unlike a lot of people, I don't believe you can overreact to individual NFL or college football games because they represent only one opportunity for you to review your favorite team in the NFL, potentially for only 16 different games, in college football, potentially for only 12 and so every different window that you see is a substantial portion of an overall portrait that ultimately will reveal itself to you. So, yes, it's, uh, it's, it's possible to overreact to one game, but you shouldn't be uncomfortable with looking at every 60-minute window and saying, what did this particular section of an overall portrait reveal about the team? To me, the Saints' loss is not as troubling as as it might be to some Saints fans who are really upset about falling behind for the moment from the, the Rams in a uh, playoff setting in the event that you get to the NFC Championship game. And let me explain why I don't think it matters that much in the larger universe right now. First of all, the Saints did not play well. The Saints had virtually everything go wrong for them on the offensive side of the ball. Drew Brees played his worst game of the season and they lost by three points on the road in a game that the Dallas Cowboys were treating as their Super Bowl. That's actually what I would expect to happen for a Super Bowl champion. The Dallas Cowboy offense had very limited success against the New Orleans Saint defense and the Saint defense gave their offense time after time opportunities to win that game last night. So if I am a Saints fan and I am sitting looking at this game the next morning in retrospect, I'm saying, you know what? That's a tough game to lose, but everything went against us. We were on the road in a Thursday night setting, which tends to favor the home team. The Dallas Cowboys, Jason Garrett, everybody on that team basically were treating us as a Super Bowl environment. And we answered the bell to such an extent that even though we fell behind initially and didn't score in the first half, we had the ball multiple times in the second half with a chance to win that football game. And so as a result, I look at the rest of the New Orleans Saints schedule and I say, okay, let's look at the larger universe of the NFL right now. Let's say the worst case scenario system happens in this, in this kind of situation. And we are looking at the overall playoff picture and how many teams in the NFC do we really feel nervous about losing to. And then on top of that, you look right now, there's a pretty substantial gap between the Rams and the Saints and everybody else. The third team right now in the NFC is the Chicago Bears. And they're 8-3. and three. And New Orleans is now sitting at 10-2, and two But you look at their final four and you say, okay, we're going on the road against the Bucs next. The Saints should win that game. I know they lost to the Bucs in week one. That makes me even more confident that the Saints are going to beat the Bucs, all right? Then you've got the Saints on the road against the Panthers. Maybe that's a losable game, but I also feel like the Saints should win that game. Then the Steelers come to town. That's going to be a massive game. Steelers got a tough closing schedule. And then the Panthers come to town. I think it's likely that worst case scenario, the Saints go three and one. Do I feel like the Chicago Bears are going to run the table? No. So that means that the Saints would still get a bye and they would still get home field for all but one game, assuming the Rams won out. Okay? Then the next step becomes, if you are the Saints, where is the game we'd have to go on the road for? Would it change in some way what we do. Now, I'd rather play in a dome. I'd rather play indoor. I'd rather play on our fast track in New Orleans where our fans are crazy and zany and wild and we know how much they can make a difference for us. But if we have to play on the road, is it really that bad to have to go to L.A.? It's likely to be dry. It's likely to be relatively warm. You're likely to be playing against a team that you know you've already beat that isn't a defensive juggernaut. Does it really matter in the grand scheme of things a ton if I'm a Saints fan, if worst case scenario, we end up with the two seed now and we have to go on the road and win in L.A.? I just don't know that that's anywhere near the equivalent of, oh, we got to go on the road in Pittsburgh. Oh, we got to go on the road in Foxborough. Oh, we got to go on the road in Kansas City even though the – sorry, Chiefs fans, you haven't won a home playoff game since 1993. The road and the environment, the weather, could be a massive impact in a Kansas City, in a Pittsburgh, or in a Foxborough in New England. Now, if you end up having to go on the road in Chicago, that could be significant, but I just don't see the Bears as running the table in their final five because the bears play against the giants okay you can feel pretty good about that game probably but then the bears have the rams they've got the packers and they got the vikings i just don't see there's any i think there's any way that the bears are going to finish 13 and 3 i don't see any way that the saints finish worse than 13 and 3 so i think the worst case scenario now as you wake up this morning coming out of this defeat if you're a saints fan is we're going to be the 2 seed Worst case scenario, and we still have a decent chance to run the table and be the one seed. So I don't think this is a cataclysmic loss for the Saints by any stretch of the imagination. Now the Dallas Cowboys. Dallas has taken a stranglehold to some extent in this division. They're 5-1 and one at home. That's a big deal because if you win the division, you get to play a home playoff game. And if you're doing the standings right now and kind of thinking about what the playoffs might look like, you would in theory have the uh, Dallas Cowboys as the four seed. If the season ended today, the Minnesota Vikings would be coming on the road against the uh, against the Dallas Cowboys. I like the Vikings in that game. I think the Vikings are better than the Cowboys, but the Cowboys are 5-1 and one at home, and so you'd have to be cautiously optimistic if you're a Cowboy fan. Reason why I bring that up. I think there's an argument to be made that the Dallas Cowboys right now are eerily similar to the run that the Jacksonville Jaguars got on last year. What happened? The defense came alive and became a real force. And a quarterback that people weren't 100% sure about rode the tidal wave of that defensive performance to a massive contract extension. Then what happened this year? The wheels came off. The Jacksonville Jaguars basically have had to acknowledge to everyone that they paid way too much money to Blake Bortles. The $50-plus million contract they gave him was a reaction to to the defense getting hot and Blake Bortles not being a total screw-up. Could the same situation be playing out with Dak Prescott in Dallas? Maybe. Or maybe this is different because maybe all Dak needed was Amari Cooper and the trade that Jerry Jones made that he got ripped for when he went and gave up a first-round pick for Amari Cooper. Maybe that fundamentally changed Dak Prescott's trajectory this year. Because you can certainly point to his performance since they added Amari Cooper. The Dallas Cowboys are now four and one. They were three and four before Amari Cooper got there. They're four and one since he got there. Maybe the argument is now Dak's got a weapon at receiver that opened up the rest of the run game for Ezekiel Elliott, and that fundamentally altered the trajectory of the Dallas Cowboys season. One of the fun things about watching NFL games is is trying to discern exactly what we're learning about each individual team as the season plays out. Be
1: sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific.
3: We're joined now by Missouri head football coach Barry Odom. Tigers finish 8-4, and four, top 25 season, 4-4 uh, four and four in the SEC, big win over the Florida Gators, and uh, they played against both uh, Georgia and Alabama, and I'll have Coach Odom break that down. But I'm curious for you now, Coach, as you sit around and wait, first of all, thanks for joining us. Secondly, did you watch any of, any of that game last night between the Cowboys and the uh, and the Saints, or what are you doing now that the season's over? As you wait for the uh, the, the bowl season and where you're going to be going?
0: Yeah, what's up, Clay? Man, uh, good good to be on with you guys this morning. Um, the the big decision I've got. I've, I'm, I'm trying to decide if I'm going to go. Purchase the the hardback cover cover of, of your book, or or if I want to if I want to go nine hours of listening to your to your your voice on on the audio book. So that's a that's a tough decision I'm trying to decide right now. Um, I'm actually in Dallas uh, on on the road recruiting, so I was in in Dallas last night. Not didn't get a chance to attend the game. Uh, had a couple of home visits, recruiting wise, and uh, then headed back to campus today. to We'll have a practice tomorrow. Um, you know, obviously we'll find out Sunday our, our bowl opponent, and then we've got official visits. So you know, it's a busy time they've, they've, with the moving of uh, signing date. You know, the third Wednesday now in December, the early signing date. That's kind of sped everything up with our calendar. Uh, so as soon as our game was over we beat Arkansas um, the day after Thanksgiving on Friday and then we hit the road recruiting and uh, kind of been nonstop since then.
3: How much would you like to be able to go back and play some of the games? Your team seems like it hits its stride and certainly hit its stride in November this year with a lot of big kind of dominant wins down the stretch to finish the year. How much would you like to go back and be able to replay some of the games that you lost earlier in the year now?
0: Well I think really you get you know, you, you you get about what you earn and we weren't we weren't playing complete enough ball early on in the year to win some close games. We lost to uh, to number one at the time Bama, number two at the time Georgia, and then we lost on the last play of the game to Kentucky and the last play to South Carolina. So yeah, we're really close um, to breaking down another wall there. You know, I, I think before uh, all said and done through the month in November, we're playing as, as good a ball as we have, and that's another. That's a reason we're practicing this weekend because I'm trying to continue to capture that because we are playing our best ball, uh, the momentum that we have, the way that we're playing together on both sides of the ball, uh, really complementing each other, and uh, excited about uh, getting into another bowl game and and finding out where we're going to be. You got Drew
3: Locke at quarterback. Uh, I know he hasn't officially decided what he's going to do going forward, but he seems like he's going to be an NFL quarterback one day. You've watched a lot of guys. You've played a lot of defense over the years. How good can Drew Locke be, both at the bowl
0: game, but also at the next level in the NFL, in your mind? You know, just like our team, I think Drew is playing his best football, and, you know, he, he's playing smarter than he ever has. And I think it's because of, of what he's understood on, you know, the. The training, the football IQ part of it, the the understanding of of not trying to force every throw, you know, throw the check down, live to play the next snap, and uh, he's led our team this year. He's got the physical tools; it's off the charts. And I think the the thing that he's done most since the end of the year last year until today is put himself in position, understanding the game and playing smart football. Um, you know, he's had every team you know in the in the league to through our uh watching practices the last you know couple months and then you get in conversations with kind of what they're thinking he's gonna he's gonna be a really high draft pick and I think he's gonna play ball for a long time when you look at uh your
3: team the biggest win that you guys had all season and it seems like a moment that kind of crystallized how good you could be was the win you got on the road against the Florida Gators you guys went into the swamp and really took it to Florida what did it feel like in that locker room after that game
0: well we had just we had just lost to Kentucky the week before you know on the last play of the game. Um so had some you know, some tough moments there early in the week on, on getting past that. And I thought our guys responded really in, in great fashion on using that uh fuel of, of motivation so to speak and then we prepared really well that week, knew that knew that we were have opportunities if we just went and played played our game and our and our guys went out and started really fast. Uh, momentum, you know, got on our sideline early on, and and we kept it, and we we played about as efficient on both sides of the ball. Uh, and then after the game, you know, the reward for uh, being that close, and, and we talked about it openly after the Kentucky game. You know, guys, we're going to be we're going to be in this situation again. You know, it's going to be crunch time late in the fourth quarter uh, because I knew we we're just good enough as a team that we were going to be in every game as long as we didn't go out there and turn the ball over, we didn't give up explosive plays on defense. You know, we're we're. Um, in a in a position that I knew we were going to be in the game if we just go play uh, the way that we can. We did execute it, made some plays. I mean, we had guys step up and, and make plays through the course of that game. But uh, it was fun seeing them celebrate and understanding that that was a big win for us at the time.
3: We're talking to Missouri head football coach Barry Odom. How many times – you mentioned that Kentucky game and the way it ended. How many times did you watch the pass interference call in super slow-mo? How many different versions did you watch it from? I mean, as a coach, as as a fan sitting down and watching that game on television, I had a reaction. As a coach, I'm sure you did. Then you go back and you watch the film. To have a game come down to a call like that, what did you think? And Now that the season's over, you go back. I mean, how frustrating was that?
0: Well, you know, I've watched it, you know, a number—I would say hundreds and hundreds of times, if not, if not more than that. Because the the thing that I wanted to make sure that that, however, we were teaching the coverage technique with our defensive back, um, you know, what what did we do wrong? How can I coach it better? How can I put my kids in in a position to go make the play when that situation arises again? and you know i i wouldn't i wouldn't change the technique he played with but we played it as the way that i'm coaching it and that we're coaching it he played it just like uh just like he was supposed to so um you you look at you know for us um when we're building this like we are you know the margin of error is very very slim uh very minimal and you understand that there's over the course of a game you know, there's there every every play matters, every every yard, every inch, every possession, all that stuff. But there's gonna be a, a select you know, select twelve to fourteen to sixteen plays that really, really determine the outcome of the game and you know, in the balance there. Uh we made some plays down the stretch to give us a chance and then and they did as well. So you learn from it, you use that experience moving forward for when you get into that uh position again that you know, the the mindset goes from here we go, uh not not no not not oh here we go again uh it's it's a it's a mindset of of putting yourself in position the mental repetitions that you're going to take through it and go through it and understand that that they're trained for it you're ready to go and and step up and in crunch time and make a play
3: we're talking to Missouri head football coach Barry Odom. You had to make a decision in the offseason to replace Josh Heupel, who went to UCF. They obviously haven't lost a game with him as the head coach there. You had to bring in Derek Dooley as an offensive coordinator. You took some criticism for that in the offseason. How did you think it went?
0: Well, you look at what I wanted You know, after I met with Derek a number of times. And understood what he was going to be able to bring to the table not only offensively but with our program he's done you know he's been a guy that i've leaned on on some things he's made our program better and and he's done an outstanding job coaching our offense and leading that side of the ball. If you look statistically on what we've done offensively this year, we're a much better football team, more complete able to run the ball. Much more efficient on third downs, taking care of the ball, and uh, you know we've we're we're a better team, and and a large part because we're playing so well on offense. So the thing I wanted to, to make sure that that uh, in house that that we shielded ourselves some from that criticism, and just make sure that we took care of what we knew we had in our locker room, and Derek's done that, and I wanted him to be judged on you know the twelve Saturdays on on the production they put on the field, and I think he's he's done a heck of the job.
3: We're talking to Barry Odom, Missouri football coach. You mentioned early in this conversation that you coached against Alabama and Georgia. They play tomorrow in the SEC title game. There's only one other coach in America. I think Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee, who has coached against both of those teams uh, in the same year so far. How would you break down those two teams? What do you expect to see between Alabama and Georgia tomorrow in Atlanta?
0: well we played them both you know decently early in the season uh Georgia I think was game 4 for us and then Bama was game 6 uh, the thing that in in our conference and league it's a line of scrimmage league and you know I think it, it's always going to be that way and you look at what the way that both of those programs are built, and any you this start with the line of scrimmage on both sides. Uh, that's going to be such a unique matchup. Uh, you know, I, I think that uh, there's going to be uh, really some. I think this will be a, a tremendous game. I think it will be some some tremendous one-on-one battles uh, that that will be interesting to watch. I think the way that that both both teams uh, are, are built similarly, that the thing that, that Alabama has done with their quarterback and, and the skill that they've got on the outside uh they're really stretching the field vertically uh you know they, they're explosive but also we look at at what Georgia is able to do defensively i think it's going to be you know clearly i think it's going to be a lot closer than than uh maybe maybe uh everybody thinks they're both tremendous teams how good is tua
3: You've seen Nick Saban defensively. You're a defensive guy. You come on from the yep. defensive side of the ball. Nick Saban offensively has not necessarily been dynamic over the years. How much more difficult is he to cover, given his talents? And how would you assess him overall from a defensive standpoint, trying to match up against him?
0: Well, he stretches every every inch of the field, and he, he doesn't. He's, he's playing smart football. Uh, the touch that he has on the ball, you know, you watch it on video. And you're impressed with it and then you get in person and and it's even more impressive uh he's got a calmness about him he understands what they're trying to do with the play call uh and then he's so gifted that it's um you know he, he he can get out of trouble he can buy time you know he can run and get yards uh and then his vision down the field is something that when i walked away from the game um he's he's playing as good as anybody in the country
3: You uh, said you're on the road recruiting right now. You finished your third year at Missouri. What is the response that you're getting from recruits? And I know you've gotten some interest because you guys have had a good season. You've gotten interest from other jobs. How would you kind of assess the overall status of the program right now and your future
0: there? well we're winning and we're winning in our conference and uh you know we ended up with a 500 record this year Uh, we understand what we have coming back a lot of returning starters on both sides of the ball we've recruited our staff has recruited really well we've played a lot of freshmen i think we played we played 13 true freshmen last year we played 15 this year we're we're young in most spots and we were losing our quarterback and a receiver and our right tackle offensively. Uh, and on the defensive side, you know, losing three or four guys, but we've, we've played a number of guys. We've got a, um, you know, a really solid foundation coming back. We're going to be in position with another recruiting class to, to get our depth closer to where it needs to be to be able to go compete in this league. And I'm excited about the things that we've got going. And I think the, the opportunity that once we get guys on campus, they get around me and get around our staff and, and they want to be a part of it. And uh, so I'm excited about what we're going to do. Uh, look forward to getting in, into a bowl game and all the preparation that you get with with your team leading into that point. And then uh, then we'll get into the offseason and, and start over in, in the building process.
3: Coach, appreciate you getting up early with us. Good luck with that early recruiting period. Hope you enjoy the book. My wife says nine hours of audio is too much for me, but everybody hears 15 hours every week on the radio. So maybe that's enough, too. I hear you, man. Thanks, y'all. Have a great one. You too. That's Coach uh, Barry Odom at Coach underscore Odom, O-D-O-M, if you want to go find him on Twitter. Fox
1: Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at FoxSportsRadio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR
3: to listen live. We're joined now by, I was about to say ESPN's Darren Ravel, but today is the last day. How excited are you for the new gig, and how did you end up there? First, thanks for coming on, Darren.
4: Yeah, thanks Clay. Uh I'm very excited. Um, you know, I've uh I've I've had a great run at ESPN. It's totaled about twelve and a half years. Um I think both times that I was there in my young career, um and coming back after C N B C uh it was it was the right time for me to be there. Um and uh, it was kind of the right time for me to go to the Action Network, um, kind of go to the niche of the niche. Um, it's been an interesting career for me um, because when you think about covering the business of sports and starting that in 2000 and people thinking that wasn't big enough to cover and then you know realizing I could do that every day to 18 years later, understanding that I could – actually cover the business of gambling every day um it's it's pretty amazing to see how far you know you can come and yeah it just it just goes to speak to the business of niches in general i mean everyone always goes to under armor you know how they how they came to the the moisture wicking shirt and and how they built their whole business around that but um you know I think that's kind of where we're at today, that people are comfortable with uh, someone who's good in or companies that are good in particular spaces and they can grow to big businesses. and so that's what kind of gave me the confidence with the the fact that we were with the legalization of um, sports gambling in states having the ability to decide um, whether they want to legalize it or not uh that this is big enough to cover on a full-time basis.
3: How there are now 8 states that allow sports mm-hmm. gambling legally within their borders. There are going to be many more. My prediction is ultimately it's going to be like the lottery where I think 44 of the 50 states now allow you to buy a lottery ticket. Over the next 5 to 10 years, I think virtually every state in the union is going to allow sports gambling. You're making a big bet on sports gambling yourself. How transformative do you believe sports gambling is going to be for sports fans and also the sports business industry?
4: Well, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I live in New Jersey right now, uh, which uh, Pennsylvania will be the state that will beat out New Jersey. Uh, but them together by 2022 will, will beat out Nevada. Uh, but just looking in this state and being in this state by luck, and seeing what it looks like and being in Europe and seeing what that looks like it's pretty unreal to see what a at least a fully mature state looks like you know we don't know what a fully mature us looks like but what a state looks like and i'm talking about an old institution like a, a train you know, like New Jersey Transit. I, I'd love to be the guy who sells sponsorship for New Jersey Transit. I mean, the guy hasn't gotten a call in like seven years, <laughs> you know, and he, and he makes commission. And then all of a sudden, like Giraffe Kings and FanDuel and William Hill and Caesars and 888 and all of them say, oh, my God, this is, this is perfect. There's no bedding in New York, and there's bedding in New Jersey, and the trains are going from New York to New Jersey and back and forth. This is perfect, and I swear to God, the train has sandal on the outside of it, William Hill on the sides inside the train, and someone else on the floor and the ceiling. Uh, that that's just the the perfect example of of how nuts it is And, and you know here in new jersey there are currently eight mobile apps uh that that one can bet from um so to see the maturity and by the end of so so betting here started on june 14th and by the end of 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 this year we're talking about seven hundred million will will be the total handle. Um, so I, I mean that's that's incredible. That, that that's amazing.
3: All right, interesting question here because a lot of people hear ESPN or they hear Fox or they hear CBS or they hear NBC and they think, oh, those big companies are going to be the leaders in the sports gambling space. You don't necessarily, obviously, feel that way. What advantages does the Action Network have that a company like ESPN maybe does not have that would lead you to leave ESPN for the Action Network?
4: Okay, that's the that's, that's perfect question. So, they just do gambling, right? And, and, and the way, when the Washington Post asked me that question, the way I basically answered it was, you know, if you're an investor in stocks, Um, you want to turn on CNBC. And you want to turn on CNBC because that's what they do. Whether you're a sophisticated investor or not, you convince yourself that they are experts in that. That's the only thing they do. That's all they think about. That's all they talk about. ESPN uh, has Doug Kazarian, has David Purdom, who is... Unreal, um, who I'm now going to have to compete with. Um, and the chalk section, with, which, which Chad Millman, who is now my boss at the Action Network, uh, built, um, is, is pretty formidable. But when you look at the Action Network and you look at what they offer, um, what they offer for free and what they offer for pay, um, it clearly, how they were founded, three stat companies rolled into one. it It clearly makes the better uh, better at betting um, than any other um, organization out there. Now, here's the thing that really what made me comfortable going there. They don't take bets which was important to me because I still want to be a journalist and I don't want to be guided by by hey you know do this uh, because you know we're going to make more money on it so that's one um, two it really is more of a site about data over tout over these are my picks um, and so th- that's what really makes the action that we're Better and, and and kind of has a greater strength than anyone else out there. If you go, you can see the strength of the data, how it was built, and how it makes the gambler more comfortable with what they're about to bet. Um, so that's really where I felt like we have this influx of, of sports gambling. People are going to want to invest in uh the back end of hey i'm not going to just you know read articles i'm going to want to do a little bit more and if they do a little bit more they're going to want to go to the best uh in the business and uh, and i think and i have confidence that the action network is the best we're talking to
3: uh darren revell formerly of espn now of the action network how hard of a decision was it to make
4: (sighs) um it was not a hard decision in the in in the sense that um, I over the last three months have been in New Jersey. I think it would have been a very hard. To, I would not have gone to the Action Network. It, my boss Chad Millman went from ESPN to the Action Network um, five months before PASPA was repealed, before sports gambling, before the states could. Could uh, uh, decide whether they want sports gambling or not. I would not have made the same decision um, because I I, I feel like I probably couldn't have uh, risked something like that without sports gambling being a definite in this country. But after mid-May, when it was done, and having seen my sports gambling stories go from let's say, 20 in 2014 to 40 in 2015 to 60 in 2016. I mean, I'm probably going to do 100 this year. Plus living in New Jersey and seeing it in front of my face, having gone to Monmouth Park, having gone to the Meadowlands, having seen my friends, having seen what they've done on their apps, Having seen the shift from daily fantasy to, to betting, as we've talked about, it made it a lot easier because I had this microcosm in New Jersey knowing that it, it, it wasn't like like we know this is coming. We know this is coming. I don't know if it's 44, like you say, but I can tell you I'm sure it'll be 15 by the end of 2019. And I'm sure it'll be 20 by the end of 2020. And so just figuring that out, there's going to be little details here and there. Sometimes states will think that the geofencing, the idea when you cross a state and if one state has it, one state doesn't, Maybe that'll be too much, or they'll be worried about the licensing, or maybe one state won't make as much money as they thought, and they won't do mobile, and they'll only do brick and mortar. So some of the numbers and the projections will go down. Um, But for the most part, this is happening. And I consider myself a business journalist who happens to cover sports. And the three hottest businesses right now are blockchain, cannabis, and sports betting. And I think the surest bet of those three is sports betting.
3: What's been the reaction on social media to your decision to leave ESPN and go to Action Network?
4: I know, like you, I'm a polarizing figure. Uh, I was surprised as to how much talk it generated. Um, And I think some of it has, I think a lot of it has to do with the move was another step for sports gambling. I think some of it was, you know, the show that you guys do. um But you were like, you were ready. You've been all in on sports gambling for five years. Talking that's, about exact, it. So, that's like, exactly that's exactly right. I saw this.
3: I saw this coming, and I said this is going to be massive, and I am hopping on the sports gambling train. I was in the spring for when ago. the argument was made. Yeah, and you, you, right. you're you to your credit see the business opportunity here too. I think the smarter people in our industry are starting to get on the train and realize how transformative this is going to be.
4: Right, but this is still in the... In Infancy. Very, very early stages. But the fact that... <clears throat> the fact that uh, I'm getting on the train and and basically saying, I'm going to do... I'll still do sports business, but I'm going to do mostly sports gambling, <clears throat> I think took people aback a little bit um, and said, whoa, wow. Um, and I think it allowed... Some people, I mean, I know that the press kind of used it as a, well, wow, sports gambling, it's, 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 this is real. Um, so I was surprised at the amount of coverage it got, but I think a lot of it really was this was another signpost that sports gambling is very real.
3: Darren Ravel, I'm excited you can now come on the show. I'm excited to have you on in the uh, weeks and months ahead. Congratulations on the move and uh, look forward to seeing how things go for you at the Action Network, my man. Thanks, Clay. That's Darren Ravel. Go follow him on Twitter, at Darren Ravel. Be sure to catch live editions of
1: Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on
3: Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Let's cue the music, boys. I have got eight gambling picks for you. We've been winning at a high rate all season long. If you've just written down these picks and played them, you've made a lot of money this season. All I ask is that you be kind to me, Santa Clay, and respect the Picks. All right, are you ready? Let's see the music, boys.
1: Guess who's back. It's time. A.K.A. Mr. Make It Rain on the For Clay Travis to make us rich. I'm rich. Including the legendary, famous, well-known talk of the town most celebrated.
0: I'd buy that for a dollar.
1: Blood.
3: Bank. Guaranteed. Utah tonight against Washington is the play Utah, the Utes, Kyle Whittingham, they get it done. They cover the plus five or plus five and a half in the Pac-12 title game. That's tonight. It's happening tonight, Friday night. MTSU, they won 27-3 to last week against UAB. They're playing UAB again. You know what's going to happen? They're going to win again. They're a one-point favorite in the Conference USA title game. Memphis, plus three and a half, and I love the over in this game. Both these teams are going to run the football a lot. Neither one has a defense to stop the run. I like Memphis, actually, to win this game outright, and I like the over. I think Memphis is going to break the UCF winning streak. Northwestern at Ohio State. You heard us talking with Joel Klatt earlier. I like Northwestern, plus 14.5 against Ohio State. Texas and Oklahoma. Tap the veins, boys and girls. The blood bank guarantee. Texas, Oklahoma, the over is going to hit the over is going to hit. Put every spare dollar you have on the over in this one. Georgia plus 13 versus Alabama. And Clemson-Pittsburgh, the over 52 in this one. That is eight winners. They're also up on outkick.com if you're on your way to work and you're not able to write them down. Oh, oh.